This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, you might think that making a website would feel a little like playing with fire because you are in there digging around with in the code and changing stuff and being, you know, the web. Normally, <laughs> I'd be terrified to mess with the web. Normally. Mm-hmm. Normally, but guess what? Good good news for you. Squarespace is here oh, once yeah. again to help you out. Squarespace helps you build websites, claim a domain, sell stuff online, market your brand, and gives you analytics tools so you can see the stuff that the people who are looking at your stuff are looking at yeah. and how long they're looking <laughs> at it. <laughs> it's <laughs> sort of like, It's sort of like hacking them in that... It's kind of like hacking, like in the Stig Larsson books. Yeah. Which, which is all about hacking. Yeah. All about it. Uh, Squarespace gives you websites with award-winning design, world-class engineering, and powerful e-commerce tools. Uh, they have 24-7 award-winning customer support in case you break something, because you would do that, not Squarespace. Squarespace Correct. is good. Yeah, <laughs> and there's, no, true. there's also <laughs> nothing to patch or upgrade on the back end ever, so you never have to play with the fire that is like secure, routine security patches. <laughs> Uh, if you if this sounds like fire you want to play with, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. I realize I'm mixing my metaphors. <laughs> uh, when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Because is playing with fire, is that a bad thing or a good thing in the context of the ad? I don't know. Go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. Use the offer code overdue to save 10%. Squarespace, you're playing with fire. <laughs> Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew, Welcome. and uh, my co-host has been replaced by the Mac OS Simple Text program this week. <laughs> Welcome to 2022. <laughs> we are here. New year, new you, new us. New year, new year, same us. Yeah, same I us. Hate to, hate, to, hate to tell tell all y'all, but I've stopped trying to change years ago. <laughs> I'm still. I'm just. This, I'm just me. <laughs> No, You're this year the one I wanna, who needs to change. I'm gonna stop biting my cuticles. What about you? I am ooh, like a okay, like a thing I need. We we're we're gonna talk about the girl who played with fire by Stig Larson in a second. Yep. But mm-hmm. is this like a like a thing I wanna improve on or just like a it's thing like, I want know, to do? New, sometimes when the new year turns over, people use the arbitrary uh rolling over of the of the calendar to resolve to to do something to improve themselves in some way Mm. Uh, a a new year's resolution if you will and my experience has been that if you keep them small and achievable and like very goals oriented yeah (laughs) that sometimes you get there okay i don't know that i have like a habit-based one that i can offer Mm. even though i'm sure i have some habits that could be changed no comment Um, let's say (laughs) I grow a second edible vegetable in my garden this year. I thought you were going to say second beard. <laughs> and I was like, where? <laughs> and I also have a couple like running New Year's goals. I don't really resolutions in the sense that like I want to push myself a little bit. I have a particular long run that I want to do. Maybe just run a thousand miles again. 
You did it two years running. I've done right? it two years in a row. I would like to do twelve hundred this year if I can. That would wow. be a that would be a nice little uptick. That's a lot of miles. That's more miles than the guy walked in the song. Yeah, that's actually what I want to do. I want to beat the guy in the song mileage you just, this so year. So just do 1,001, and then if you want to beat yourself again the next year, you haven't set yourself like an unreasonably <laughs> high watermark to, to hit. So I also want to resolve to keep reading books, Andrew. Okay. And yeah, so far so good. So far so good. The podcast means I have to read books. and <laughs> Contractually obligated. <laughs> To our podcast network and our advertisers to continue to read books. And each other, I guess. (laughs) We didn't, I don't think we spelled that part out in the. That we have to read the the books? Business documents. Good point. (laughs) I don't know if there's anything in that document that says make a good podcast. It just says make up. No, we just gotta make one. So this is the show where we read books we haven't read before and talk to each other about them. And you, the listener, get to listen along for our episode 500 andrew what book did we talk about uh we read girl with the dragon tattoo by stig larson yes the first in the millennium series and we enjoyed it so we're back for more yeah we just we'd pick a big like i think twilight and the 50 shades yep series were our most uh, successful ones but yeah we'll pick pick one of the big like uh, classic airport book series yeah. to to make our way through <laughs> every once in a they while. Can't this is all this be is not, this Italian postmodern. No, they just know, they, they simply can't. They, they <laughs> simply can't be that. <laughs> so yeah, we we've read these two. We're gonna read the third one yeah. that he did, and then I I would like to read, and I think you were on board with this. The fourth one, the first one that was done by another person, by just, ju- yeah, just to see what's different. I okay. don't want to do all. I don't want to do all six. I just want. I feel like that's. I could talk for an hour about the differences between two different pr- people writing and books that's, about the same character. That's in your contract, so we're yep. going to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else should we say at the top? Ooh, I want to shout out our uh, January schedule because maybe you're just tuning in. You had a break. You hadn't listened to us in a few weeks, and you don't. You want to do this social, at the top of the show? You made now, a like resolution the, to not read social media like <laughs> or the something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm mixing up the energy and confusing Andrew. So no, that's fine. I'm uh, not confused. After this week's episode, uh, which is next week's episode, comes the story of Doctor Doolittle by Hugh Lofting with Allie from the SSR podcast. Very excited about that. Uh, we already recorded that. It's a good time. Then Homegoing by Yajasi. Uh, followed by Peacock's Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown with well, the, host. the book, the book, the Lost Symbol. It's not Pe- the book. Peacock doesn't own the book. I have the full title I have in front of me, Andrew, is Peacock's Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol by Dan name, Brown. That's the name of the it show. It says by the Dan book, Brown at the, the book, end. The book is just Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown. <laughs> with the host of Appointment Television, um, Andrew's A podcast, which no longer exists. Well. We we're raising them. We're well. What is it's a great Brown time to signal? Great time to signal boost. Yes, uh, and we're closing out the month with Rotha's Creature by Claire Bell. It's the first in a series about cat people. Buckle up. All right, the girl will play with fire, Andrew. It's the second book in the Millennium trilogy. Yeah, and this one's on the last one. She had a dragon tattoo. This one, she still has a dragon tattoo, but she also plays with fire, like metaphorically speaking and literally. Yes, and also literally, I get. Well, does she? She has a memory about fire that she caused. Oh yeah, no, yes, 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 yes. Okay, uh, so not in the chronology of the book, but in the, the one of the flashbacks that we get within the book, she yeah. does. Yeah, 
Um, it's a lot of, not, I wouldn't, it's not playing though, not playing with fire. She uses fire. Yeah, sure. She summons fire. Yes, she's a fire starter. Uh, this is a book series by Stig Larson. Uh, we covered a lot of the background of this series in episode 500. Please go back and listen to that if you're yep. interested in it. He's um, Swedish. He was a yep. journalist. Yes. And he wrote like three of these before he handed any of them to a publisher. And then he passed away very shortly after that. Correct. Um, and this book came out in 2006 in Sweden, 2009 in the UK. The translations are by Reg Keeland a.k.a. Stephen T. Murphy, who wanted his name re- removed after another editor did some work to it, apparently. Did we, did we settle on Reg or Reg? Great question. All right. Cool. We didn't. Um, right. It was a bestseller in the UK right away. It was made into a film um, in the film series um, in Sweden. I don't in Sweden, think- they, in Sweden, they did all three. I don't yeah. think like the, the American No, they did not make a made it all the way through. Yeah. No. Uh, and they also made a like television millennium series that does the first three books as well. Sure. Um, and so I think we're just going to get into this one. That like the the interesting thing about Larson passing before these books were published, let alone became like mega hits, is that there isn't a between book publication narrative to be had like there isn't a like oh here's why he went back to this character or here's why he decided to tell this story like he didn't do press tours for any of these books or well and 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 there's no opportunity or maybe what whatever the reverse of opportunity is there's no there's no revisiting the manuscripts based on the that's the public response to the first one yeah yeah so this is just like what it was what his like partner who helped finish like finalize all of the manuscripts before they were published but yeah who still claims that she has like the first 200 pages or something of a fourth yeah. book written by him that she would release if she could get the rights from his like allegedly estranged family but she cannot that's a battle that is ongoing again we talked about that in the last episode yeah useful to know useful to know so what do you remember about the first book? I so have, we got the we got these we got two people. We got M- Mika Blumkvist. Yeah, Mikael Mika Karl Blumkvist. Uh, he hates that nickname. Don't he call does him hate Karl Blumkvist. Uh, he's a financial journalist who was in the in the last book disgraced, but is now in this book re-scraced. He has gotten <laughs> <laughs> he's gotten his scrace back. Yes. And he is a big, he's, he's back to being a reputable journalist at an independent publication called Millennium. That's what the book series is named for. And we got Elizabeth Salander, who is a hacker, who is a, like a mid twenties, yep. like computer hacker, misanthrope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, they have adventures. So in the first book, the adventure was that the disgraced. Mika. A locked island mystery. <laughs> yeah, it was a locked island, decades-old mystery. He was hired by an old man named Henrik Vanger. Uh, it led to... It was to solve his daughter, granddaughter's murder. Da- daughter's supposed murder slash disappearance. And uh, she was resurrected because she wasn't actually dead. Uh, yes. And then he had hired Salander through an intermediary to yes. help him do this work. 
Mm-hmm. They became friends, even though she, as Andrew mentioned, is an intense misanthrope. Uh, and then lovers. And then lovers. Mm. Um, and she saved his life from a awful uh, sex murderer. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, you know, you got the awful sex murderers, and then you got your reputable sex murderers. Yes, it's good to distinguish. And she then, after she saved his life, did some extra hacking and helped him do the the better version of his financial reporting, which was like well, some Panama Papers stuff. Like he had he had published something on some big time muckety muck financial yeah. guy, but he had relied on a source who was too flimsy. Mm-hmm. And he and he got successfully taken to court for libel, and that's why he was disgraced. And then she, with her omniscient computer hacking skills, which allows her to see literally anything that any character is thinking at any time for any reason, as long as she has like some has at one point in her life had physical access to their computer. Usually, not even it's not even physical access. Like as long as it's connected to the internet, she can usually get it. Usually, there. yeah. If they because uh, most people don't have firewalls, or, but she uh, you know. she helps them, and then yeah, she also skims like billions several, of kroner, like billions of yeah. And I I looked up the exchange. I don't know what the exchange rate was in the early two thousands. Right now, uh, kroner is worth a little more than a tenth of a dollar. So that helped me with some of the financial, okay. some of the money stuff sure. in here. Is so you just take out take out the digit, and you get roughly the number of dollars that you're talking the about. The other big thing we need to know about Lizbeth is that she is technically a ward of the state due to some trauma in her teens, which is never fully explained in the first book. Uh, she was in and out of a psychiatric facility. Then she was in. Not quite. She was in like foster care for foster a while, care. and then she was under guardianship of this guy named Palmgren, of a nice guy. Yes, and then he had like a stroke, and then she was under guardianship of a bad guy. Yes, Bierman. Bierman, and he and assaulted that was her. a yeah, and he assaulted her, and that was kind of a loose end in the first book, where yes. it's just like it kind of happens, and then you move past it, and then the rest of the book is about something else. And so as we as we go forward into our discussion of this book, which has by my by Wikipedia's count uh, thirty five named characters, <laughs> <laughs> some of the people who feel loose endier, especially a couple of the like you know misogynist homophobes characters i assume are laying the groundwork for stuff that's going to happen in i book have three, some thoughts or even, on that yeah or even mm-hmm. like beyond because he had planned for this to be like a 10 book yeah. series before yeah. he, he died so yeah like he is not worried about um economy of of storytelling or at least he he had like a bigger picture in mind as he is like putting characters out there and, and and making them do stuff and feel things. Yeah, and so like the first book had, had you, as you said, Andrew, this locked room, locked island mystery that does get solved by the end, but there's a bunch of open questions. Um, the, one of the biggest ones being uh, she got revenge on this uh, guardian that uh, took advantage of her and, and assaulted her and then has been kind of using him blackmailing him into making the state think that there's nothing you know wrong with her and she's totally normal yeah uh, with the with the eventual goal of 
getting declared like yeah. competent to to manage her own affairs. And then there are there are a few things in this book that I think are like commenting on like Swedish politics and society yep. that I don't think we have all nope. the context to, to talk about. Like there there's some talk in this book about like the fraying of the social safety net and mm-hmm. and the way that the, the society like cares for the people in society who need that care. Yeah. Um which then, was alluded to in the first book, but is like explicitly part of this book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so like it's in there, but I just I don't think we have anything smart to say no. about it because we don't. Just I mean, that it is. Listen, there. We live in America, and uh, to say that our social safety net is fraying would be to imply that it exists at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, in that sense, I guess we could talk about it. But yeah, I don't. I don't know the full like political context for stuff in Sweden. I don't know in the how early two thousands. Feel, Andrew. I'm gonna take a big. I feel fine. Macro... How, do you, how do you feel? I feel okay. I, I okay. felt better, but I feel fine. Yeah. Um, big macro take for me on this book here that we read. Okay. I think I liked it a little bit more than the first one, and I liked the first one. Okay. But I also recognize that this book does not work without the first book. Exist. Yeah. Like it is not, uh, I don't think that you could have the parts of this book that work work character wise without a full books. And that's like how sequels work, but it is interesting in a, you know, mystery thriller series for that to be as explicit when in the second book, one of your primary characters is at the heart of a mystery and it all, a lot of it revolves around her backstory and you have to pay off a bunch of stuff that you alluded to in the first book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yet, I guess I thought there, it there's for like me. there are like series of of mystery or like crime novels. Like I think we've read a couple ton of French books. Uh, yeah, we've read for sure. Um, what like am I am I thinking is Agatha Christie the person I'm thinking of? Or we've am I thinking- done at least one or two Poirot books, but that's a different. I'm thinking like, of the person who wrote all the the alphabet books. Oh, Sue Grafton. I think we yeah, all read. Yeah, Sue Grafton. Yes, yeah, yeah. One maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, my I guess my sense is generally like characters continue and they they can recur, but everything you need to know about that character and what makes them tick exists within the individual book that you're reading. This Whereas feels like more modern. Yeah, yeah. And I I think I I think I like this about the same as the first one. Sure. Um, it is. It's shaggier, I think. It's a little shaggy. Well, there's, so there are things that, that it is doing that I like, and then there are some things that it's doing that I can merely comment upon. <laughs> I don't actually know if I like. Like, so, so what, what's similar? Like the first book, the event that drives the narrative happens like a third of the way in and these these aren't like long 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 but they aren't short they are not short no so it's a lot you know there's a lot of of table setting there's a lot of just like discussing of like the the business affairs of of millennium the as a publication mm-hmm. <laughs> um there were throughout this and this happens in the first one too um there's just a lot of talk about like money and like products and and buying things like you get throughout the book right until the very end like people are always looking at stuff and thinking like oh that costs a lot of money or they're going to a store and being like i bought this and this and this and this and this and it costs however many kroner 
and my hard drive has this many megabytes. Yeah, in it. and like there's one part where he where she kicks somebody in the nuts, and mm-hmm. he's like with seventeen hundred like psi in yeah, the balls. Right. Yeah, right. Like what, I don't know what that um, is. There was a or like every time she sits down at a computer to hack it, she's like her level of respect for the computer is directly correlated to the size of the hard drive <laughs> in the computer <laughs> which at the time it's like yeah, hundreds of megabytes that. yeah like the, you would you would notice yeah like the the hard drive uh, gigabyte race was i mean not not a race but like it, it was a thing <laughs> at the time uh the the review from 2009 in the guardian by mark lawson uh who generally enjoyed it um does like do some table setting of like this is in the Swedish thriller crime thriller space. It's playing in a in a you know a style of story that is established when he's writing these novels, but then becomes even more popular afterwards. Um, and he says these two points, which I think speak a little bit to what you're just talking about, Andrew. He mm-hmm. is employing as seasoning forms of storytelling that other authors serve as meat. Larson is sometimes casual with the demands of those forms. Salander routinely hacks into major corporations for which she has worked with the aid of ancient passwords. Um, Larson allows his heroine to rail against the quote-unquote dimness of the people running these businesses, but this tactic fails to remove the feeling that he is underestimating his readers. Interesting. Yet, conversely, he is almost too insistent and methodical when it comes to background detail. Rather as though he were filing a police surveillance report on his protagonist, he records the precise time and date of every sleep and shower she has and every item of food she eats or buys. Um, And he goes on to talk about this completionism being like maybe in his head in Larson's head like a way to give this some verisimilitude but you and I were talking before we were recording my take is maybe he might have pared that down later or I don't know maybe he wouldn't have but you maybe maybe he it had he been done more editing on it edited yeah. more or had the opportunity to do more editing himself that stuff would have been cut down a little bit that's oh that's I, Lawson argues that in the piece I missed that quote but he says yeah, that okay. too yeah like Eh, maybe, maybe. maybe. I, I think. I mean, everybody's watched a like a. Everybody's watched a TV show and been like, "When do they go to the bathroom?" Am I right? Like everybody <laughs> just wants to know when everybody's going to the bathroom. Yeah, we had a and we had Larson a Russian and, listener, and, and Larson goes the other way, where he's like, yeah. "This is exactly when, when they went to the bathroom. They went to the bathroom and what it was like in there." We had a Russian listener tweet about our episode on Dragon Tattoo a few weeks ago. I Google translated it, and they mm-hmm. were talking about how fun it was that we got all excited about the computers and like really was, like was narrowed fun. in on the details. Man, this I mean, so there was a little bit of computer stuff in this one. Not as much there was, though. There wasn't. There wasn't as much. Like there was a. You know, Blomkvist finds her computer in her apartment when he finally tracks it down, and he's like, "Yeah, this is a 17-inch power book with the with 1,000 megabytes of RAM, which is not how you would talk about having a gigabyte of memory now. <laughs> I tell you what, and like exactly how big the hard drive is, and I guess I I'm not sure how he knows that. Yeah, but I, I guess I'm also not sure who is telling us the story the whole time because something that is a little unmooring about this book that I don't remember being I don't rem- I know what you're going to talk as about as yeah. bad in the previous book is the POV stuff is just everywhere and you don't it's not it's not even chapter by chapter usually you don't even get the benefit of like an indent it's Correct. just like it's just streams through to the next thing it, you'll and get a new character never, every paragraph in some of the yeah. most like heightened parts of the book yeah and and 
you know, it, Larson almost always puts the character's name pretty mm-hmm. early in, in those transitions. Like there is, there are never large passages where you're left to like guess who's whose head you're in or whose like storyline you're following. But man, there's just a lot of it. There's a lot of it, and it at its best, it is. There's action happening. I do remember him doing this in the first book between Salander and uh, Mika, where it would be like there's action happening, and he's going to take every second paragraph to cut away to like keep it suspenseful, right? But in <laughs> this, he's got like he's got this ancillary cast of two thousand people, and on yeah, one like page three there might separate be four investigations. <laughs> Jesus. And and they're all doing different things, and like I guess the additive effect is that it's like each one they're all happening at the same time, and it's like it's pushing the book forward, and it is, but it's not. It is tough. It it is tougher than I expected it to be for sure. And, and so they okay. So the the inciting incident is that there are these couple of journal. Well, there's a journalist and like a an academic who Blomkvist yeah. and Millennium are working with. Who one of them is going to publish a thesis on the on like the sex trade in Sweden, specifically like people who are uh, trafficking minors. Yeah. Tra- trafficking and, and prostitution and like with an emphasis on people who are abusing, um, mostly young women from like Russia and, and yep. Eastern Europe. Um, so she, she's going to publish this and also, you know, when it is published, she's going to tell the police about, all these people and in, in this in this paper she names like policemen she names not not just people who are directly involved in the trade but also john you know, some some respect quote-unquote respectable people who yep. are gonna get canceled when they, when they get found out you know ideally because this yeah. in this world where um bloomquist's panama papers like actually cause change yeah uh in this book, this report will definitely also cause people to lose their jobs. Yeah. Which 20 years later does. Hmm. Cause you know who never comes after Bloomfist and, and what he never suffers any repercussions from is from all the powerful people who he took down at the end of the last <laughs> book. Yeah. That's like, true. Like those, those, those bosses have been defeated. And so they're not some, they don't, we have to, we don't have to think of them anymore. Yeah. Um, what about the other guy dog? This, this was Mia's thesis that she was. Working yes. On. And, and so the other guy Svensson, I think. Yeah. Is his dog name. Svensson. Uh, he is writing a book about the same thing. Yes, and using you know, similar well, research, but like willing to name some other sources and things like that. Yeah. Well, and and also you know telling a story the way that you do in a in a book as opposed to yeah. sort of just compiling research that you that you've done, like like trying to affect change by writing a thing for the masses. Yeah, rather sure. Than, which is what um, Mika did, which is, and so yeah, Bloom, Bloomquist sees like sees a younger version of himself in. Svensson and, and so has do, like taken an interest in they're this. gonna do the one-two punch of like we're gonna theme a whole issue around it yeah and then we're gonna use our newfound publication infrastructure that we and- use to publish one book at the end of the last book and we're gonna 
I mean, even even they in the book, because we do get yeah. a blow by blow of the like accounting apart- department in Millennium. Like, even they are like, well, I mean, we have a publishing arm, but we really just wanted to publish this one book. What was that? Whole, <laughs> because we had to. What was that whole board meeting scene where they were like, oh yeah, Harriet Vanger, character from the first book, we have to kick you off of your temporary appointment to our board so that we can put you on our board forever. Cool mm-hmm. ruse. Why did I read thirty pages of that? I mean, it's because I like they w- they wanted her to know that she was on the board because they liked her and not because of contractual obligations that they were forced into when they were in a corner. Like I understand the. I'm not saying I in understand why it's there or yes, endorse I it. Why the I'm just saying like it. I yeah. I understand the what the story in that part of the book is communicating. Sure. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like Mika continues to just pull mad tail. Like now he, I guess he is and this is actually I mean maybe if he wasn't the one good man who existed in this entire society, yeah. it would play even worse than it does. But for Mika to be banging the daughter of his former like employer who he had dug up, who had only gone into hiding because her brother and her dad were having sex with, I don't, yeah, Mika, like I know that you could have anybody you want because you're sort of handsome in a in a rundown like pencil pushing journalist kind of way, but. Maybe you don't need to have sex with everybody who's expressed. Would you like to know what his boss slash best friend slash lover, Erica Berger, says about him? I guess. He had talent. He was quite simply as good, so good that it felt as if she had achieved the optimal balance with her husband as and him as his, as her lover when needed. She could not do without either of them, and she had no intention of choosing between them. He had talent, Andrew. He so was like, just he so has, good at it. He has a good game in the in the B room. Yeah, well, B room might be bedroom. <laughs> Thank you for censoring that, and not bathroom. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so those two are working on this thing. That's how they get connected with uh, Mika, and that train is a rolling. Yeah, um, and they all and they get killed. Yeah, they that's, get oh, you were building to that point. Is the fact I was that building they get that, killed? Yeah, I was. I was trying to say the inciting event. Like these two, these two people who are working with Millennium, they get they get killed, and that's a third of the way into the book. Also, what happens is the is Bureman the the employee like the the advocate the advocate for uh salander yeah is also killed with the same weapon on the same night on the same night like within an hour or so and the only prints on the gun are his and a gun that has been dropped in a stairwell because these books as either the guardian or new york times i think maybe both of the reviews mentioned how these kinds of books kind of are powered by coincidence yeah (laughs) so the the gun has been dropped at the crime scene and it's got her prints on it as well as Bierman's and that's those are the only prints um, yeah so th- you said that this happens a third of the way in the book and yes it takes its dang time getting there I felt it more so in the Mika stuff because the two other plot threads that we are following in that first third of the book are a little bit of like Bierman being angry and you're like oh he's back oh yeah he- yeah, he's he's being angry. Uh, Salander is like she's she's been abroad. There's the whole section at the beginning with the I, tornado where she like I she, love it. 
it's it's fine. It's like a good like short story about Salander, yes. I guess, and she, and what and what. So it establishes to the audience before this thing where she's suspected of murder that she is cool with killing people, either directly or indirectly, if yes. it matches up with her like moral code. Which like good to good to remind everybody of that, I suppose. She went off for a year, traveled the world, disappeared because at the end, end of the last book, she saw Mika kissing Burger. And she put her Christmas present for him in the garbage, and then never yeah. talked to him because she she fell in love with with Mika. Yeah, even though she doesn't like to get entangled in that sort of thing. So she started traveling the world. We and find she's, her. She's resolved never to talk to him again. Yes, and correct. indeed, for the first like two thirds of the book, they do not communicate. No, at all in any medium. They they are in fact not physically in the same place to exchange words with each other until, until the, the last the page of the book which ends in the cliffhanger <laughs> yeah i liked it uh i also think no, it's I, important. I like it fine i think that's i think that's a good the the stuff i liked a little less is in the like the middle third of the book where it goes gone girl and like salander just suddenly disappears Ooh. in the middle of the book because we the reader have to be able to suspect her of the murder even though she obviously didn't do it i see i I was willing to give the book that because it had given me this opening gambit, this opening hurricane gambit, where she has traveled the world, has and the seven seas, uh, given herself a boob job for some for like reasons. She's got reasons. She talk, it, it makes her feel more yeah. at home in her body. I actually like. I yeah. actually dug that. Um, and she also removed a tattoo. Like, yeah, I, I that is what I put down here is that like she is moving through space in a way where she, it feels more purposeful. Well, even, and even when she gets back, like she, she's settling into some form life, of like, yeah, comfortable existence. Like yeah. she has all this money. She doesn't have to worry about money anymore. She buys a super expensive apartment apartment yeah. after ruining some crappy realtor's <laughs> life because he <laughs> condescended to her in a lobby, which <laughs> fine. Um, and she like buys all this furniture from Ikea. If you want to know the exact models of everything yeah. and how much they cost, like just do read the book. It's all listed in there pretty specifically. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, it's, she's kind of setting up a, a life for herself that looks more stable than any version of her life has looked so far. Correct. She, But the time she spends in Granada, she is like boning a, go- a boy yeah. on the beach. Like, a, uh, you know, he's of age. He's yeah. like. It's making him a man, I suppose. In a <laughs> and manner of speaking, she is. Uh, she sees this like American uh, douchebag um, who she suspects is abusing his wife in the hotel room next door. Imagine the couple from White Lotus. Is that a reference point? You yes, know? I know. I'm, okay, I'm familiar. Right, yes. yes, that is yes. actually a very good reference. The fighting, point. the fighting newlyweds from White Lotus. It's and exactly that. <laughs> so she. Um, does some digging. He doesn't have any money. She has a bunch of money. The wife does. And she realizes that this guy is not here on a business Salander trip. realizes. Yes. Um, Salander realizes he's not here on a business trip. He's just walking around doing nothing. And then she realizes that there's a hurricane coming. And this guy is probably going to use it to kill his wife. And claim the yeah. cash. Yeah. Um, and so during this big climactic hurricane scene, she does leave him for dead. Uh and save the wife and it's cool um and i i liked that as like i hadn't actually thought about it andrew as what you said which was setting 
reminding us the reader that she is violent and capable and like has a moral code where murder is permissible because we get some of it at the end of the of the last book but yeah i feel like the i feel like larson really wants us to genuinely not know whether she could have killed like especially Bureman, but yeah i think that we see, that- we see her like visit the other two Yes. And then we don't hear from her for for like a third of the book. And I think the book really wants us to be questioning, like, did did she I don't think she did it, but did she do it? I I am. I found myself wondering up until it was revealed that she was not responsible for Bierman, that maybe that was that was possible, but she couldn't have done the other two. And so conveniently, the person who did murder Bierman, like we get a cut to his point of view and he's like, yeah, I murdered him. And here's exactly how I murdered him. And what I, and here's the, how I silenced the gun. It's like, it's typical Larson, like tons of detail, like after you've kind of already figured it out, but it's, I just thought that it was, I felt a little bereft of her in that section. And I, yeah, if that's what the book wanted me to feel, it, it was effective. Um, and it also gave space for the whole litany of other kooky characters that we need to meet oh, in this book. Know. There are so many of them. And I think in the aggregate, I liked what they were doing, though there's like half of them whose names I will never learn. There are individual characters in all these subplots that I like. But like even so you go to the cops, right? You've got three parallel investigations happening into this. You've got the one of the Millennium, the one of the police department and the smallest the, one, which is at um, her previous Milton, employer, which Milton is her security. previous employer. Yeah. I don't th- there's a lot of fat you could cut out of all this stuff because within that cloud of characters, you've got two people who are just like misogynists who hate her and want to nail her and like for slightly different not like nail in a sexual way but like you know nail like get back at her yes and you know there there are nuances in, in their motivations but like it's essentially two copies of the same character that we're getting and the, i think they're both being set up to be something else in book three the um, one i don't know that the one will i don't know if the the guy from the security firm will come back in book th- i think you're right that the guy well no here's why here's why i think he's there so in the cops the cops are led by officer bubble um, officer Mr. bubble so yeah you got officer bubble who's a cool guy yeah generally who's leading the investigation you got extram i think who's his boss who, who is sucks. just mugging for the cameras yeah. a real joe mansion this guy is M- is it morty who's the 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 woman, girl one, yeah. Modry? I don't know the the girl one, yeah. Girl cop. And her job, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that's, I mean that's that's the yeah. book's characterization of her. She's like girl cop. Yeah. Um. There's like one or two decent cops, and then there's Fasta, and then there's, and then there's homophobic cop. He sucks, and he's yeah, he sucks. He's there to explicitly tell you that all of the misogyny that this series is steeped in is also in the cops. In case you had any doubt, in the guard in that Guardian review. It says this time around, Larson's theme is misogyny and the harm done by to women by corrupt evil men. The Swedish title of the original book was literally "Men Who Hate Women." Like, yeah. what did you think the first book was? Not about? a great sentence. I'm in my notes. the The first one was about like familial violence and like corporate, like capitalism and stuff like that. Right? It was also about men being no, no, no. It was about men. To, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm just saying that this book is more focused on government entities because the police office figures way more heavily there's not really like a a good police crew in the first book and then this book is also building a bridge to like secret police stuff 
that would rather uh, cover up murders and abuse to protect its secrets than actually like have any respect for women or the marginalized. Okay. So I, I think that I, I think you're right to critique his deployment of that sentence <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's uh, painfully reductive. Yeah. Um, but Fosta is there to put that in the cop house. And then the other guy, it might be Hedstrom. That might have been a different guy. I think he's one of the private, the Milton guys. Yes. He's, yeah. I think he's the guy who, when Lisbeth was working there, threatened. He like took so- some naughty photos. Nudied photos from a client and like distributed them to a tabloid. And Lisbeth was like, if you ever do this again, I'll kill you. Essentially. Something. I'll yeah. like, do something bad to you. And so he's got like the the, the he's got an axe to grind. The theme is that is not oh I have regret for this wrong thing that I did. It's how dare this b word c word whatever. Yeah. How dare this woman step to me? And the I'm book, gonna I'm gonna get her. The book doesn't deploy this as a mystery necessarily, but it is a mystery to the characters. Is that throughout the police investigation, someone is leaking stuff to the press, and it's not any of the police. It's this idiot it's this idiot and so he can take the fall for that in this book andrew so that it can set up a dude like fosta in the next book i think i I think that is why that's happening and i i can see that they are redundant thematically but i think plot wise they are not because i just don't i don't know the the other i don't know how much the whole like cop leaking to the press storyline needs to exist in the first place. Like I just, I feel like you could, you could boil a lot of this down. I'm interested to hear what you think, but I think we may have forgotten that we need to take a break to read some ad copy. Oh, dang. (laughs) Yeah. So let's do that and we'll be right back. Okay. Craig, has this ever happened to you? You, signed up for a free trial of something and then you either couldn't cancel it or you didn't cancel it and you get billed for a month of stuff that at least a month of stuff that you didn't intend to actually pay for it's happened to me and it's definitely been more than one month and i did regret it and it took me way longer to take care of it than i should have it may or may not be happening to me right now who knows (laughs) oh true bill knows Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need want or simply forgot about On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions. So you don't have to talk to people on the phone or uh, get, you know, get pressured by them as they do. If, If you, like me hate talking to people on the phone almost more than you hate any other form of social interaction. I think that will, I think that will be good Yeah, for you for sure. Uh, so don't fall for a subscription scam. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash overdue. Go right now. Truebill.com slash overdue. It could save you thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash overdue. All right, so so we we have talked about the the overarching plot. We've talked about the inciting incident. Do you want to talk about whatever character work this book is doing, like specifically around Salander? Because I don't think Blomkvist actually changes he's, all that much no, in the he, course of this. He doesn't like his just to like put his character arc to bed. 
well um, <laughs> is I'm sure he'd like He's that. He's just like, why isn't my friend slash sex friend, Lisbeth, why isn't she talking to me anymore? Yeah, I'm going he... to contact her over and over again to tell her that she really doesn't need to talk to me yeah. and that I'll leave her alone if she wants. He is trying to take care of her. I think the there's a background thing this book is setting up that his relationship with Erica Berger is going to change. That doesn't actually happen in the book, but whatever. And um, he is out there. He's one of the two or three people in the entire country who actually believes in Salander that she couldn't have done this. And so he's not only going to finish this dead guy's book, which he has to do, but he is going to save her. And yeah, because he believes that the murders were committed because all the stuff in this book was about to become public. Yes. And he's, not wrong um no he's not but, wrong but Spoiler, it wasn't like wrong. it wasn't a grand plan which we'll get into but it, it it was related yeah um and then her stuff be sent her character her background the elaborate series of like both uh personal and digital like shields of her identity mm-hmm. are all now like coming home to roost in this book yeah. Um, in a way that, like, by the end of the book, when she is going to be in need of incredible medical care, she kind of realizes that she is beyond a point where she can take care of herself. And that is all she wants in the world is to be, like, fully independent. Yeah. Like, she she gets, a, like, a small bullet lodged in her brain, and the <laughs> thing that she's the most worried about is that she can't just go home and sleep it yeah. off. Like, she's, <laughs> she's going to have to... It's going to have to ask an institution for assistance, which I mean, to the book's credit, every time she has ever tried to approach an institution for assistance, she's been either ignored or actively exploited or both. Yes. So like, it totally makes sense why she is the way it is. And I think the book is successful in that, in that sense. The other, the other like small character note that I really liked in the book was her, one of the few friends we see her have and her lover Mimi Wu um, who she has an on again, off again relationship with, uh, comes into harm's way in this book because she winds up being listed as Salander's roommate in Salander's old apartment, and all of that happens because Salander wants like distance from anyone finding her. Yeah, and so she, for again, for one of the first times in her life, has like real guilt about the type of lifestyle she is leading and how it has affected another person. Yeah, because like, oh. I didn't want to be at this place because I'm worried about the kinds of people who might try to come find me. Yeah. And then my friend gets hurt for literally exactly that reason. Oh no. Yeah. Well, and she's got, she's got sentimental attachment to the apartment because it's like, it's her mom where her mom had lived. And so she, yeah, I I understand why she didn't get rid of it, but it's tough. Yeah. She's right to feel the guilt that she feels. Uh huh. And all of the, the blackmail that she was doing to Bierman in the first book, who now has to file monthly reports that says that she's totally like totally fine. Nothing going on here. Don't worry about it. Um, Don't ask any follow-up questions. And yet it is still adhering to the existing psychiatric narrative that she did have these issues. So then when we get to the part where she's not in the book and there are all of these characters who are just encountering the paper trail that is her, Mm -hmm. they can't square it with the private person that she is yeah like her the few friends that she friends and like close work associates who she does have start like paint this 
internally consistent. Like each account yep. is consistent with with each other account, but completely contradictory to the like doc- documented evidence, like picture of who she is as yep. a person. And that's that's what makes the police narrative or start to turn a little bit and like other people to be suspected is because she, but I don't, I feel, I come away from this feeling like the police thing, you could just honestly cut most of it. I don't know that. I mean, like you find some interesting individual characters in there, but I don't know how much, the thing is, is that These, I don't like, knowing all about like officer bubble. And then he has this nickname because his face looks red, like a bubble sometimes. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't, uh-huh. di- I don't dislike the characters. I just don't, I don't, we don't need to talk about them a lot because they don't do anything. <laughs> I, I think that there is, I, I agree that the book gets shaggy in its like line by line descriptions. I don't know. I found, the cop stuff like he just wanted to go over there like it's not it's never going to be a tight story with this guy no i mean and to to be more charitable i'm i'm (laughs) he is what what um what uh larson is is doing is trying to set up oh it's not just salander who is encountering these like crappy men in her life who like have power and misuse it or who are just like casually crappy to their female coworkers. Like it, it's happening everywhere. Like he's got a bigger societal point he's trying to make. And to do that, he is representing like different slices of society. I get that. It's it, just, it is it a lot of page for, space to, to, it makes for a wishy washy murder mystery. Like sure. it doesn't, it doesn't, it actively pushes against the mur- murder mystery stuff because to your point, Andrew, like, the cops know less than the reader does almost all of the time. Yeah. And that well, makes and, and me the feel cops good. No less than the other characters <laughs> who you're hearing from like, like Mika and, and Salad are both know information before the cops do. And then you get a whole section from the cops. is just like, Oh, we've just learned or guessed at this information. Yes. And, and I get like, sometimes you'll get a, like a, a piece of something or some like nuance of something that, will flesh out something that you heard from Salander or from Mika, but uh For me, what the what the cop stuff drove home the most was just that like whatever attempt at not having a public persona she had created was actually hurting her in this yeah. particular instance. Mm-hmm. Um that's what it did best for me from a plot perspective. We've talked about the theme perspective. Yeah, because what what she ends up like cursing in multiple different ways is like one, I have no like personal connections, like very few people vouching for me. Yeah. And two, the few people who were in my corner, like some of them are just like getting beaten up by like monster Ivan Drago people. (laughs) Like it's, (laughs) or they're bound by like complete silent, like confidentiality. Like Bloomquist can't actually explain why he is vouching for her to anyone. He can't, yeah, he can't tell anybody about the like the back third of the first book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the Bierman stuff is what because sets... he wants to keep banging his former employer's <laughs> long lost daughter. The Bierman stuff is what sets off the entire murder plot. Even though there is definitely this broader, I think the book at one point uses the phrase "sex mafia." Um, and what is what happens is Bierman is mad at Elizabeth Sounder. He makes a phone call to someone mm-hmm. who will help him. Mm-hmm. 
which sets off a chain of events involving this mysterious man named Zala or Zalachenko, mm-hmm. as Let's well as Zala. Uh, Zala and the Giant, who we get some POV chapters from. He's six foot six, two thousand pounds. His bones are made of iron. His bones are made of iron, and he doesn't feel pain. And he doesn't feel pain, which we get the scientific explanations of later. But for most of the book, you just know that mostly he's, he's the Hulk. just an Ivan Drago esque like monster man. Yeah. Um, Bierman wants them to get Sounder for him. They aren't able to, and uh, it becomes clear to us later in the book that what happened was the giant was trying to talk down Bierman. Uh, Bierman panicked, and so they had to kill him. Yeah. Uh, and right as that was happening, uh, Salander, who had come across the doctoral thesis on Bloomquist's computer... Uh, went to go see the reporter and and the and the doctoral student asked about Bierman and Zalachenko. That guy called Bierman and the giant's like, "Well, I gotta go kill those people." Yeah, and then when he came, when the giant came to kill them, he accidentally dropped the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then everything and so else it, is it getting look, to, to that yeah, reality. For yeah, sure. and it did. It looked for a little while like it was fortuitous that sudden. Oh, Salander, who had actually had nothing to do with any of this. Yep, is the main is the main suspect now, and Blomqvist, who wasn't, who is like the only link between Salander and the and those two for like a big chunk of it. Because he arrives only, at the murder scene like minutes. He just later. rolls up yeah. to like pick something up from him, like yeah, a, some another photos. another like pure happenstance thing. Mm-hmm. And this all happens in like one like ten minute span in this one in this yep. one evening. Um, yeah, and then and then it just becomes like this this. So she's got this thing that happened in her past. She calls it all the evil, and I've got. I would love to know what the actual Swedish for this was because all the evil is the weirdest. Yeah, term to use to like apply to uh, I don't know. Especially because your whole life we never see a scene of someone like saying it out loud and coining it, which would help if well, it was. We get what Palmgren says it to to Mika when they're talking. No, he says but like, he says Elizabeth Elizabeth calls it all the evil. That's what I mean. Like we don't know why she calls it that. Aside, I mean, because from... that's when all the evil happened. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh, because Palmgren was in a coma after the stroke from the first book. She thought he was dead, and now she's very he, guilty. But he didn't not. actually die, yeah. and he's yeah, he's still he's still up and just like giving I like that inf- stuff giving in helpful information to everybody. No, no, I did like that. That was good. Um, so yeah, it's this whole thing where like Zala was some like refugee, not even refugee. He's like a um, he's a KGB, he's a, he's an a, intelligence asset from a, the USSR. What if James Bond was a Soviet officer who defected? And wanted mm-hmm. asylum in Sweden. And who drank too much, but it was like off-putting instead of uh, dashing and rakish. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh-huh. And he, yeah, so like, and so he is, he is bum bum bum, he's Salander's dad. Yeah. And, but he also abused like Salander's mom and, and Salander's sister, who I don't remember if we heard about in the previous book or not. She, she was has a sister. mentioned, but very, pa- very, yeah, I, I assume we got like a breadcrumb or something, but, um, and so when, you know, when Salander tries to, just like, kill him re- with a knife the first tries time. To, tries to kill him and tries to like report him and try. And this is like, she sets him on fire briefly. Like she is, 
she is taking matters into her own hands because she doesn't think the authorities are going to help. And indeed, like the person who she thinks comes and does like a police report on this whole thing is like a, a high up member of the Swedish government who's actually trying to cover it all up. And so it becomes this like her abuse and all the evil and her being thrown into the system with like this evil psychiatrist. Yep. Uh, it all ends up going all th- this whole thing goes all the way to the top. Yeah. It is part of what Sapo is like the state police. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it is, there is a small pool. Maybe I think at one point Blomquist or Palmgren describe it as like a dozen guys in a sauna somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like know who the proverbial smoke, smoke filled room. I yes. Guess. That knows who Sala is knows that they can't let anything publicly bad happen to him or else all of the secrets that he gave them and whatever else they've done to cover it up will be exposed. And so they are willing to not only let him be a criminal and just abuse women and whatever, but also like lock up his daughter uh, and prevent her from ever like f- finding out more or, you know, spilling the beans. Um, and that is the, what leads us to the end of the book where she has to go get him. And she does. Yeah. And the Um, giant. Yeah. I don't know. Do we need to, do we want to go blow by blow through the final confrontation? I don't know that we do it. And it's pretty gruesome. There's two things action wise that I want to shout out. Let's do that. And then I think we can roll into the end. We haven't talked at all about. Paolo Roberto. No, we didn't talk about the real, actual, real life boxer who shows up in this book because he thinks that Salander is awesome and he like practiced boxing with her in yeah. like the community center like Be- years ago. And so they're good pals. Because the entire country of Sweden has put out an APB on her and he sees the news and is like, no, she's cool. I'm going to talk to somebody about it. He happens to know Erica Berger, hooks her up with Bloomquist. He gets involved in a rescue mission to save Mimi Wu from the giant in a shipping container. And my favorite part about that fight because it's a boxing match with a giant bone man who doesn't feel pain. Even Ivan Drago. Come on. Is that. From Rocky Four. Mimi, when she opens her eyes, is like, why is Paolo Roberto here? Yeah. And then <laughs> the, we cut to the giant's POV. And he's like, why is Paolo Roberto here? Uh, it is worth noting that Paolo Roberto did play himself in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also uh, rightfully gotten in some hot water for stuff that if he'd actually read the book, maybe he uh, wouldn't have done. Okay. So just putting that out there. Cool. But I don't like, I don't know why he's in here. I, I guess it's the I same thing as why. all the like name brand products that are in here. It's just like, why is this in here? Uh, he needed, Was this in here because he Andrew, didn't get to, because Larson didn't have a legal department to consult when he originally possibly. wrote these things and so it all just ended up in here <laughs> like also he needed um a boxer to identify the the giant in a grainy photo from germany uh from 17 years ago which I is a thing that could, happens he could have made up a boxer yeah he could have instead of using a real like a literal real man nope Nuh-uh. uh i guess and- mika is like barely not Stig larson <laughs> so maybe yeah. like you that's know. the dan brown school of thought um mm-hmm. And then in the end, the main thing about the end is it's very violent, um, and she gets buried alive. Yeah, buried alive. And is able to get out? 
and is able to get out, even though she has a bullet in her brain. But it's cool because it's like a little bullet. This did come out after Kill Bill, where that also happens. Mm. It was just made me think. Most most buried alive plots happen on soap operas, in my experience, and most well, people I don't mean, dig their way out. This has a huge cast of characters and lots of explosive twists and turns. So who's mm. to say that it isn't? That's a good point. Thanks. But it ends on a cliffhanger, Andrew. Yeah, because Mika has tracked her down. He doesn't actually like save her, save her, which I also no. He doesn't. He doesn't save her except in the sense that he shows up with a functioning phone to the place where she has been concussed and is dying. But he doesn't help her like actually do the fighting, which no is no 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 part and parcel with. The book. I mean, he ties up the giant, but the giant is like, don't know, kind of lets himself be tied up. Yeah. So I don't like, I don't really. That was weird. That was yeah. weird. But it does end. Yeah, I don't know where it goes next, but it's going to go like, it's irrevocable things have happened. Very yeah. public things have happened to her. And what, um, and what we know in this book, even though she and Mika do not directly talk to each other until the very end. They're communicating on his like hacked laptop, which he's surprisingly fine with her having like complete and total access to every single. Once he knows he can use it, like yeah, and so they they have a shared Google Doc. They converse via Word documents a few times in his computer that's been hacked. But um, just the amount of network bandwidth he would need to do some of the stuff that she's doing. Sure, I don't. I mean, again, don't know what internet speeds in sweden in 2003 were like but it's just it's a lot sure um what was i what was i talking about well just what's gonna happen to them next oh just yeah like he shows but but she's she still loves him the whole time yeah she clearly does cut off contact because she feels spurned in some way that is never quite made clear like i guess it's her it's bloomfist like smooching erica berger kind of yeah but it feels like there's more there that we're not quite privy to and so she just kind of feels stupid for like wanting to open herself up and it's i mean it's a more extreme version of what you see in a lot of love stories yeah i also don't um, know what i can't tell what is going to happen with him is that like vanger is barely a character in the book so i'm not even gonna talk about her but the burger stuff where there's like a there's a really bottom tier subplot of her maybe taking another job at a bigger paper <laughs> yeah and she doesn't want to tell anyone and she doesn't tell anyone except her husband in the book um, and that's not till like the very end yeah i think i mean i think she suspects that that's gonna bring her whole relationship with yeah. mika her and his incredible penis <laughs> like to a to an end <laughs> I, I would put a pin in that as one of the like 10 things in this book that feel like set up for the next book and you can feel them setting up the next book it's not just like oh we're gonna get another story in this world it's like no this is like season two of a television show yeah like e- even more than like the the Bureman yeah. stuff in the first book you, yep. you can really sense the narrative scaffolding being laid for a similarly dense like 700 page subsequent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. novel yeah mm-hmm. um and that's but, so that's why I want to read the fourth one. It's like yeah. assuming there's a bunch of this kind of stuff in the third one. Yeah, what could he even do in the fourth one? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, like how how does that get picked up upon and like is this 
I don't know. What is an imitation of the style feel like, or, or what is, you know, what, what yes. essential girl with the dragon tattoo nest is this new author decide to try and like pick up on and like write three more books about. I'm also impressed at the way, because this centers on her, that this is an escalation of the first book, both in like, because it becomes this huge press story. Yeah, It becomes because, a nationwide like, yeah. like person hunt. Yeah. I can only imagine that the third book is going to be like, she probably going to go to trial for something. Mm. Um, it's the the secret police are going to get involved. Yeah, and a, a lady might leave her job for a different job. Also, <laughs> I just don't know how you take these two characters and put them in book four after what seems like is coming in book three. Like I I don't know how you dial things back down for book four. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Uh-huh. Well, maybe book four is on the moon. I haven't. Maybe, yeah, maybe they're in space. Hmm. Girl okay. with the dragon spaceship. Ooh. So sometime in the next, you know, probably two months, three months, we will read The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, and I think the hornet's nest is the government. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's that's my take on it. So in the first one, the dragon tattoo was a dragon tattoo. And this one, the fire is fire. Yeah. And then the next one, the hornet's nest is a metaphor for the government. <laughs> mm-hmm. I okay. don't know if there's going to be a real hornet in, in the book all right. at all. I mean, I think you're going to have to have a literal hornet's nest in there after the first two. Sure. She remains a great character. Yeah, she's it's getting me. It, like, it, it is propelling and um, you feel her absence for better and well, for worse. And, and you also feel like the, the complexity, like multiple characters throughout this book are like, yeah, they're like, she's not. She's not quote normal. Yeah. But there's no like diagnosis that actually captures yeah. captures what mm-hmm. she is. And guess what? That's how like that's being, how it works. That's how being neurodivergent works in the first place. Yeah. So it's like it's nice to see. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's nuanced, but it's no. uh, I appreciate that that like note for her. Because the book is interested in how systems don't serve people. Like the whole series is interested in how systems don't serve people, right? So, like, that's a pretty personal example of it for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we it's at every level of this book. Um, yeah. I really liked when Paolo said, that girl's really in the soup, right? I really liked when Salinger said she did something via Google's search engine, which yeah. was funny. Yeah. Um, and at one point, someone was looking for like, her. I think in 2003, that still was yeah. all that Google was. Uh-huh. Like, it's <laughs> uh, and in two th- at some point, somebody s- she said someone was looking for her in the ICQ chat room, Andrew. Yeah, I'm I not mean, quite sure how that would work. but ICQ. I mean, I know what it is. I just don't yeah. know how you get... There's some fun like proto Reddit detective stuff where everybody on the internet was talking about yeah, no, the case in a chat room called yeah, there's Exile. Like, there's, yeah, there's chat rooms. You got you got your ICQ and your IRC stuff. And yeah, a- AIM. Nobody it's, in this book uses AIM. No, 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 no. Well, it's there's you not, don't you don't have a thing where Mika like fires Swedish up his computer and reads messenger. and reads uh, Salander's like emo away messages <laughs> and like gets a hint about her whereabouts <laughs> from it. Uh, it's a fun time capsule about the internet stuff. That's why I like to mention it. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we're going to be back with more books. Um, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. Yep. Uh, Bronwyn, 
Jeff, Emily, Zach, Neil, Joe, Molly, Graham, Christine, Katrina, Leanne, Clara. Thanks for talking to us on social media and many more. Bring it and back down. Bring it back down. Thanks to Nick Lorantis, who composed our theme music. Thanks to everybody who listened to the show in 2021 and hopes to listen in 2022. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. You click those, we get a cut. Your local independent bookstore gets a cut. You get a book. It's great for everybody. Patreon.com slash overduepod is our Patreon page. You pay for hosting, books, equipment, uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, we're hoping in 2022 to figure out some form of, of live show again, even if it's not mm-hmm. in person. We want to figure out another run of merchandise, which we've gotten a few questions about yep. and fully intended to do in 2021 and just never did yeah. for reasons that sh- should be obvious. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but yeah, you know, contact us. Let us know if there's anything you would like to see us do that we're not doing and, and we can... You know, we can resolve to look into it. Next week go. again, uh, the story of Dr. Doolittle with Allie from the SSR pod. Uh, it was a great chat. And then go subscribe to her podcast. Uh, it's yep. a good time. Yep, yep, yep. All right, everybody. We will see you again next week. And until then, try to be happy. was a headgum podcast.